Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. And uh, you'll find the passage in your church bulletin on pages 8 and 9. Before reading God's word, let us pray. Father, we ask for open hearts and minds as we read this passage from your word this morning. May we be prepared to receive your message to us. We are thankful for your servant Richard Britton as he shares what the Holy Spirit has laid upon his heart. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Hear the word of God. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Hear the word of God. Good morning, Geneva Campus Church. How are we doing this morning? It's so good to be with you this morning. It uh, does not seem like almost three years since I was uh, a regular attender here and was working here with Pastor Mike, and uh, it's just a true blessing to, to be here and to worship with you. 
Definitely worth the six hours of driving to get here and the six hours of driving I'll have this afternoon. Um, I'm so happy to be here and um, worship God with you this morning. Uh, so we just heard about Nicodemus' encounter with Christ, the story of John 3. Um, and you know, uh, my brother Harry uh, joined the army in November. Uh, he had his little suitcase and he packed, you know, just a few items into it, a, a pocket Bible and uh, a few clothes and uh, a few papers, and he packed his whole life into an entire suitcase and left for basic training. Uh, he left for a life of 4 a.m. bugle wake-up calls and muddy marches and rope climbing and, you know, just all the tough stuff you go through in basic training, right? He left to experience a new life. And in our passage today, Jesus tells us how Nicodemus can begin a new life, that he must, that he must undergo a spiritual rebirth. But Nicodemus has some trouble understanding really what Jesus is talking about. So who is Nicodemus? He's a teacher of the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. These men led worship in local synagogues and served as spiritual guides. Jesus calls Nicodemus the teacher of Israel. He's the teacher of an entire country. Now, there's no one today who we'd call the teacher of the USA or the teacher of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Maybe Jeff Harden. <laughs> or the teacher of the Christian Reformed Church. Maybe Alvin Plantinga. But Nicodemus is the rock star intellectual of his day. He's also a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of judges that acted as the Supreme Court. They took appeals from cases decided by lesser courts and met in the temple in Jerusalem every day except for Sabbath and festival days. In today's terms, Nicodemus is a cross between a Harvard professor or a University of Wisconsin-Madison professor and a Supreme Court judge. Now contrast this with Jesus, who has the minimum amount of formal education. All Jewish boys were taught how to read. They worked on memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But they were only educated until they were 12. Only the brightest of the bright, the Einsteins of their day, went on to study under famous rabbis until they were 21. Nicodemus has twice as much formal education as Jesus, but ironically, the Harvard professor has come to question the high school graduate. So why is he coming to question Jesus? Chapter 2 tells us that many people witnessed Jesus' signs near Jerusalem. They most likely witnessed Jesus' healing and casting out demons. In chapter 2, Jesus forcefully drove out money changers from the temple. This disrupted the Passover, which every Jew was required to attend. Nicodemus steps forward as a representative of those in Jerusalem who had witnessed the work of Jesus in chapter 2. They want to know what this guy is all about. And Nicodemus compliments Jesus as a teacher who has come from God. And Jesus starts talking to Nicodemus about the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is saying. And it's kind of ironic that the teacher of Israel can't understand the, Jesus, the spiritual things that Jesus speaks of. Jesus is telling Nicodemus something he should have already known, that he must be born again, born from above, 
born of water and the spirit, that he must experience a spiritual rebirth. Yet Nicodemus is in the dark. He came to Jesus at night. He is without understanding. Verse 3 tells us this. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, which in Greek is the same word for above, born from above. And Jesus is the only one who has come from above. In chapter 1, the first part of John's gospel tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we see that Jesus is the Word made flesh, and that he has been with God from the beginning, that he is God and has come to earth. Yet Nicodemus is currently blind to the spiritual truths of Jesus and must experience a rebirth to have his eyes opened to the truth. And we are sinful and in need of spiritual rebirth, just like Nicodemus. St. Augustine realized this. He was a famous bishop in North Africa in the early 5th century. He tells a story in his famous book, Confessions, about stealing a pear from a pear tree as a young boy. One day he was hanging out with his friends and he came upon an orchard. They found a pear tree with lots of fruit and they stole it all. They stole like all the fruit from this tree. And they didn't take it because they were hungry and they didn't take it because it looked delicious. They had better pears at home. They ended up throwing the pears to the pigs. So why did they steal? Augustine writes this about the theft. He says, I was not under compulsion of need, yet I wanted to steal, and steal I did. I already had plenty of what I stole and of better quality. I simply wanted to enjoy the theft for its own sake, for sin. He did it simply because it was forbidden. In our sinful nature, our hearts are disordered so that we desire forbidden things. We desire a lot of things contrary to God's moral law. You know, my professor once did a social experiment with his grandkids to highlight this point. Now, his grandkids were around the age of two to three, kind of starting to realize that they had some personal autonomy and they didn't have to do just what their parents told them. So he told his grandson, Tom, you know, Tom, why don't you go play in the family room with all your toys? You can do anything you want, but please just don't jump on the couch. We just got new cushions, and if you jump on the couch, you'll ruin them. So just do anything you want, don't jump on the couch. What do you think is the first thing that Tom did when he got in the family room? He jumped on the new couch cushions. Sure enough, there was something in him that couldn't resist breaking this rule. This tendency in human nature is why Israel could never uphold the law, because our sinful nature prompts us to break laws. And this is why we will never live perfect lives on this earth, because we have sinful natures. This is why we need to experience a spiritual rebirth. Verse 5 tells us this. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God 
unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And we are born of water and our baptism, as was just highlighted a few minutes ago. And Nicodemus would have understood some aspects of baptism. In the first century, Gentiles or non-Jewish people were baptized when they converted to Judaism. It represented a complete cleansing of their impurity because Gentiles were considered unclean. After their baptism, converts to Judaism were considered part of Israel, the people of God. And for us, baptism represents the washing away of sins that Jesus brings to those who believe in them and their children. This is some of what the Heidelberg Catechism says about baptism. It is an outward washing given with the promise that as surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so certainly Christ's blood and spirit wash away the impurity of our soul, all of our sins. We are made clean by grace through faith. As John the Baptist testified in John 1, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the suffering servant who gave himself for us to save us from our sins. Baptism represents the washing away of our impurity. Being born of water or baptism brings us new life, gives us new life. It symbolizes the fact that we have been joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. Romans 6 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We have died to sin and now live a new life united to Christ Jesus. We all must die to our sinful nature and be raised up to new life in Christ. So what does it mean to be born of the Spirit? The gift of the Holy Spirit is promised in our baptism. When Christ ascended into heaven, he did not leave us alone, but poured out his Spirit on all who believe in him. You know, God tells the Israelites in the Old Testament through the prophet Ezekiel this, that in the Messianic era, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God, through Ezekiel, is speaking of the time of Jesus. God tells his people that the Holy Spirit will move them to follow his decrees because they couldn't do it themselves. So the triune God sent his son who poured out the Holy Spirit on us after his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth, brings us into the light, and cleanses us from sin. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and transforms our lives, shaping us into into people who are more like Christ. It continuously brings us into the light because our sinful nature gravitates toward darkness. And spiritual growth happens after spiritual rebirth. 
The Spirit will move us to follow God's will and become more like Christ. Becoming like Christ, becoming model disciples, is a lifelong process. Even my grandma, who is with me here today, is not done being transformed by the Holy Spirit after 29 years. Yet every day, through our experiences, God teaches us more about himself. Verse 21 tells us that whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. While we all may have faith in God's truth, learning to live by it is a lifelong process. Being transformed by the Holy Spirit is a lifelong process. And if we have been spiritually reborn, we will also grow spiritually. This spiritual growth will involve a continual death to sin and rising to a new way of life. Here is an example. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis labels pride as the great sin. No person is free of it. Everyone in the world hates it. There is no fault which makes someone more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unaware of in ourselves. It is easy to point out and look down upon people who we think are arrogant. We value humility. Lewis points out that the more we hate prideful people, the more it is indicative of pride in ourselves, because each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. In a culture where competition and comparison are necessary to show our worth, to get into university, to get a job, or show that we as a church are doing good work, it is hard to avoid. Pride also manifests itself in the religious life. Lewis states, wherever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good and that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted upon by the devil. The real test of spiritual maturity is that you forget about yourself altogether. This is merely an example of how we still fall remarkably short of living how God calls his holy people to live. Thankfully, God did not leave us without help in the struggle with sin. This is why Jesus came to earth and was lifted up or exalted on the cross. Through Jesus' death came life. Through his death, the entire world was saved from sin. Jesus' glory came in his death because through his death, he brought life to the entire world. In Numbers 21, the people of Israel sinned against God. So God sent venomous snakes among the people of Israel, and many died. But then God told Moses to make a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by one of these venomous snakes could look at the bronze snake and be healed. And just as anyone who looked at this bronze snake was healed, so anyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ will be saved from their sin and transformed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives right now. I talked to a guy named Fred recently about how his life was transformed by the Holy Spirit in his late 20s. He had been born into a Christian family, but wasn't finding any hope or joy in the Christian life. He was anxious and depressed, thinking there had to be more to the Christian life than what he was experiencing. 
God, he thought he had to keep doing things to maintain God's forgiveness and favor, and it had him burned out. So he got on his knees and he prayed. He's, he prayed to God, saying, I know there has to be more to the Christian life. Please show me. And after this prayer, he noticed a change. He was free of his works righteousness, free of the compulsion to do things for God in order to maintain God's favor, in order to maintain his status as forgiven of his sins. He experienced the joy of a life free from the condemnation that sin brings without the anxiety of trying to maintain the status of forgiven after he prayed this prayer. He realized that he didn't have to be perfect. He could experience the joy of serving God despite his imperfection. Friends, when we come to Christ, we are born again. We are genuinely new, but we are not yet a finished product. We are born of water and the Spirit. We have been cleansed and our sins washed away. The Spirit of God dwells in us. It shapes who we are and teaches us about God and ourselves every single day. Jesus is the true teacher of God's chosen people and teaches us every day by his Spirit. He who began a good work in us will complete it by his Spirit. God has given us new life. Let us praise him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the new life that you have given us by the blood of your Son, Christ Jesus, to all who believe in his name. And Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone in the struggle against sin, but you have given us a helper, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that as your people, you would help us and shape us and transform us, transform our minds and our hearts, reorder our desires, help us to live holy lives, Lord, worthy of what you have called us to, only by grace, only by grace, Father. We thank you for your grace, which is given free of charge. Lord, you have been good to us, we thank you for what you have done, and we pray that you would empower us by your spirit to be salt and light in the earth. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.